it's 2125. You stand outside of a party up on a hill with a view of the village below. You notice your older brother and his friends sneak off into a nearby field to mess with a helper F2, a farm bot that shows up at night to supplement the human day labor. You watch them fail to tip it over, and after a few shoves you notice one of its legs spark blue lights. You quit the party and head down there to make sure the drunks don't get hurt. On your walk over, your brother's friends run past you giggling. He's gonna be in so much trouble, they say, laughing. You laugh along and continue to the field to get him. But when you arrive, a large Buster T7 stands over your brother, who's laying face down on the ground. The robot yells at him, destruction of robotic equipment is prohibited. Your brother yells unintelligible, drunk babble at it and tries to get up. The robot takes this as a threat and pushes its glowing laser arm into your brother's back and through his stomach. The bot lifts him off the ground and tosses him to the side. It sees you approaching and leaves with the damaged helper F2. You rush to your brother and apply pressure to the wound, but the blood won't stop leaking out. You're screaming for help. Your brother spits up blood and tries to catch his breath. He looks at you with his pale face, scared. We should we should have killed those bastards a long time ago. You debate with yourself. Run and get help before he bleeds out? No gods. No masters. He says as he gasps for air, clenching his stomach. You tell him you have to leave, to get help. He grabs your shirt and begs you to stay. Don't leave me alone. It'll be okay. Everything's fine. This is just a bad dream. You get blood in your eyes as you wipe away the tears. You tell him it's not a dream. His voice grows softer as his soul leaves his body. You get him back for me. I'm too tired to fight. His last words. You hold his body and cry for the rest of the night. The next day is a blur. People tell you how sad they are for your loss. Hold a funeral for him. You dissociate as your brain gets caught in a loop of thoughts, wondering who controls these robots. You ask, but no one answers you. You remember the rumors of a god as you fall asleep. You wonder how true they are. And if so, is he still around? You wake up at dawn. You are completely dissociated from your body on autopilot. It gets itself up and grabs your bag with a few essentials, and as you walk to the edge of the village forest, it dawns on you what your body is doing. It's time to kill a god. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series of playing with myself on the internet. This is Rainy, your solo role player, original ginger flavor, although Troy's Mindcrawler was an incredible one player one shot. But I'm very excited to start a new playing with myself series. This one should probably be in the anywhere from, I'm going to guess, six to ten episode range. I'm going to hopefully be playing through both Miru 1 and Miru 2, which recently kickstarted and has been released both by Hino Kodo. It is a solo hex crawl game about killing a god, getting revenge for your brother, and it is very interesting in that I'm going to be filling out the hex map as I explore it, rolling for terrain and events, and there is a survival aspect, which is inventory management. I'm going to need to find food and shelter and weapons to defend myself throughout my adventures as I eventually, hopefully, track down this robot god and get revenge for my brother. It is a pretty brutal game, 
So here's to hoping that I get kind of far and we can see what both Miru 1 and Miru 2 have in store. The basic form of playing Miru involves exploring a hex grid, which I'm going to fill out as I explore it. The map isn't made already, I'm going to roll to discover what kind of terrain I'm walking into, then I'm going to determine whether or not there is an event in that hex, and we're going to track time on a calendar. There are certain events that happen on certain days, and I'm going to obviously do that inventory management to make sure I have enough meal bars or fruit or food to recover, items to sleep comfortably, etc. So basically, I'm just starting this adventure, like it said, dissociated, wandering almost aimlessly with intent in my heart to avenge my brother against a robot god. So, to begin, we're going to roll 1d6 to determine what terrain we begin this game of Miru in, and here goes. I got a 6, which, appropriate for me, personally, Rainy here, it's Swamp. It's like I'm going to work, let's go. Although, in games, swamps are typically pretty dangerous, and, you know, mire and people confuse them with marshes and bogs. Fun fact for all of you listeners, swamps are wetlands dominated by woody vegetation. Marshes are dominated by non-woody vegetation, typically grasses and forbs. And now you know. Bogs are a little different. They're a little more complicated. Strictly fed by precipitation, recharged groundwater, you get a lot of interesting plants and bogs. And there are other wetland types as well, but let's focus on our swamp here. After you know the terrain, roll 2d6 to determine what type of event occurs. So here goes. I got a 7, statistically the most likely, on a 2d6 roll. Now what's interesting is Hinokoto designed these terrain to have certain events more or less likely based on, obviously, the role within them. And with 2d6, you have that nice bell curve. So it's interesting. Swamps are typically probably more impassable than other types of terrain, which makes sense. Trust me, they're not fun to walk through. But my 7 determined that I encountered some ruins within this swamp. Roll 1d6 on the ruins, and I got a 4, which says the Swamp Church. Your shoes are filled with water as you make your way through a thick bog. See, it's easy to confuse wetlands, it's okay. You come across the flooded remnants of a rotting church. Inside you find a mossy bowl with three bitliths, which are the currency in Miru. Do you take them? Yes or no? Ooh, immediate dilemma. I mean, my character currently has no money whatsoever. They're wandering out in the wilderness to find a robot god to kill. Ideally, they're going to come across some form of settlement, but this is like an offering left at a church. Personally, I'm not a religious person, but that's not something... It is ruined. I don't think anyone's really coming here. And I'm on a revenge mission, so... You know what? Yeah. I'm gonna take them. Let's see what that says. You take the three bitliths out of the bowl. The ground begins to shake, and the sound of an organ loudly blasts through the church. Oh no. A mangled humanoid robot rises from out of shallow water between the pews. Its metal jaw falls off as it makes eye contact with you. Put back the offering. 
the static-filled speaker box bellows. You put the three bitlets back. It yells, More! You shake as you put in half your bitlets. Round it up. I have no more. Hopefully, that's not a problem. It freezes up for a minute and falls back into the water. You stand there in silence for a second. You look back at the bowl and consider... You could probably grab them and make a run for it. But the organ starts playing again, and you run out, never looking back. Yeah, right. Lesson learned. I think that's fair. So after determining the events, and depending on the nature of those events, surviving them, it goes to camping for the night. Once you survive the day's events, you'll camp for the night by eating at least one food item and then sleeping. These steps cannot be skipped. Missing any of these steps results in starvation or sleep deprivation. So I start the game with three meal bars, which heal a certain amount of HP and energy points, EP. So energy points will be used later when I learn fighting techniques or something like that. And I believe I have a maximum of 20 hit points, but start at 10. So technically I'm actually going to be doing okay after this. Then it says, sleeping is, you must sleep every night if possible. If I'm camping outside, I get a certain amount of HP and EP back. If I'm at a village or tavern, I get more, obviously. And there is gear, which will make it better for sleeping conditions when I'm out in the wild. So, actually, after my first night in the swamp, running from the organ and the falling apart robot in the church... I actually am going to heal 5 HP and 3 EP. I'm going to gain that. And I think that I'm going to actually be going up from 10 to 15 and 13, respectively. So that is day one. I will mark that off on my calendar. And after sleeping a night on a nice mound within the swamp, soft, mossy mound, I wake up actually surprisingly refreshed and not feeling so bad about my decision to head out there. So let's go ahead and see what's next. We start the day and we're going to move to a different tile. I'm just going to keep on going straight north, just kind of keep going through. Or I guess northeast because of the way hexes work. So we're going to go northeast and we are going to roll to see the type of terrain that this swamp turns into. This time I rolled a one, which actually is not any piece of terrain. It is a small injury. Oh, this sucks. So it says here, some days are harder than others. While looking around the area, you hurt yourself and take minus two HP and damage. You remain on the same tile and nurse your wounds. Eat and sleep like usual, and tomorrow will be a new day. Watch your steps next time, you delicate human. Oh, man, that sucks. I mean, swamps are difficult to traverse, so maybe didn't expect some area to be particularly rooty and just kind of rolled my ankle. Didn't really want to walk on it for the day, so I am down to my last meal bar already, and it has been two days of me wandering in this swamp outside of my village. Damn. And now it is day three. So, on the calendar for Miru, there are certain days where events occur. They are bolded on the calendar. They are cutscenes, effectively. It says here, Day 3. Move to a new tile. It is a forest. As you're walking through the woods, you find a glass skyscraper. It towers over the trees by a hundred feet. Inside, you walk past the security desk and up a few flights of stairs to floor 5, 
where you hear a low hum. You take one sleeper's leather jacket from a clothes rack near the door. On the floor are aisles made of metal pods with dried up humans in them. The pods light up as you pass by. You touch the glass top on an empty pod and it opens up. The inside flashes white lights and invites you to climb inside. Suddenly, a woman's voice crackles through the ceiling speakers. You look up. Hello, traveler. You've come a long way from home. I'm afraid it's too late to join us. Eternal life was a limited time offer. You feel a sharp sting on your hand that you had resting on the pod. You blink and you're in an empty room. The walls and floor have some soft blue glow. The woman's voice continues talking to you. It's been a long time since. Where am I, you ask? You are safe, she says. You appear to be angry. I see. Ah, we patched that bug in the Buster T-7s. Your brother didn't deserve what happened to him. I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive. You wake up with bright red lights flashing in your face. You've fallen halfway into the pod. You yank a wire out of your hand and stand back as it moves around trying to find you again. What the fuck was that? You ask out loud. You grab your stuff and head back for the stairs. The ceiling lights flicker off and on. You know you can't kill me, right? The woman says over the speakers. You quickly rush down the stairs. I am not the enemy you think I am. As you pass the security desk, you notice one solar-powered taser and take it. Please don't do anything foolish, she says. You walk as far as you can from the building and find a safe place to camp. You have a dream that night about your brother. After he gets thrown by the Buster T-7, he stands up with a hole in his stomach and stares at you with four eyes. This concludes day three. Eat, sleep, and adjust your stats. So, that is our last meal bar. And we got a sleeper's leather jacket and a solar-powered taser, though, so that's good. And that's how these events work. There are others at day 15, 25, 40, and 50. So yeah, you know, you definitely explore for a while in this game. Let's see what's next. Day four. I think we're just going to move laterally and see what we get. A two. I mean, that's better. And a two is forest. Now 2d6 for the event. I will roll two green d6 for a forest. And I got a six. Which is more ruins. There's actually more interesting events in the forest, I think. Or maybe not. But, alright, we got ruins, so that's 1d6 to determine what's in there. And I rolled a 2. The Abandoned Factory. An explosion occurred here. Inside are rows of unfinished helper F2s. In the back office, you find the remains of two humans holding rusty guns. Their blood still paints the wall behind them along with the bullet holes that took them out. As you leave the factory, you take two spare parts from the assembly line. I think those are tradable items, or I need them in order to build certain weapons. So, not a complete loss, that's nice. However, we now need to rest for the night, and I have no food. So let's look up how starvation works. It says here, starvation. On day one of missing food, you lose two hit points. You lose two hit points cumulatively every day you don't have food. So I really need to find some food fast. We have 
explored three hexes. One was a swamp as I left my village, which turned into more upland forest, where I found the glass tower on day three and now the forest nearby on day four. I'm hoping that this forest breaks soon and I can find a village. Or at least some food. So let's play day five. Let's go ahead and move north, right in between the two sections of forest that we have explored here, and roll our d6 to see what we get. Another six. We're back in some swamp. Oh no. So we roll 2d6 for the event. And this time I roll a nine, which is pretty high. So let's see if that's a different kind of encounter. It is. It says it is an encounter. The things you find here are also sweaty and miserable. No one's having fun in a swamp. Be on your guard, even if it's exhausting. So we roll 1d6 for an event. And I got a four. The Last Elder As you're walking along a muddy path, a guy wearing a tie and riding a bicycle approaches you. Howdy, partner. Have you heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You ask him if that's the name of the god you're trying to kill. He looks at you confused and says, Look, I know what I believe may sound out there, but buddy, there's absolutely no way you're going to kill that giant machine that's walking around. You're nuts. He hops back on his bike and pedals away. That's it? Oh no. No food. Sir, come back with food. Alright. Well, it is day five, and that was our encounter in the swamps. And now we have to camp again. So I'm losing four HP, although I gained three from a night's sleep. So net negative one, and I still gain my energy points, surprisingly. But things are getting desperate out there. All right, so let's go on to day six. We'll move laterally again to the east, rolling a d6 for terrain. I got another six. Guys, I know I love wetlands, but oh no, these swamps. 2d6 for the encounter. I got a six, which is ruins. So we roll a d6 for the ruins. And get a four which is the swamp church that we encountered before but the way that exploration is handled in miru is that you never encounter the same ruins twice same for encounters if you roll for the same thing basically if you roll even you go one above it so i rolled a four so i'm going to be doing the third ruins instead if i rolled odd you go one below it so instead we're doing as if i rolled three which says the obelisk in darkness you feel an odd pull to head east, which is the direction we're heading. You walk until you find a black rock obelisk underneath a willow tree. The barcode-like glyphs on it glow a deep red. The closer you get, the fuzzier your mind becomes, but you can't stop yourself from touching it. Suddenly, the world is completely silent. You feel overwhelmingly euphoric and in peace. Oh, let's go. You now have 20 hit points and 20 EP maxed out. Starvation and sleep deprivation reset to zero. Let's go. All right, well, I didn't find food, but at least my starvation resets. And I'm feeling good heading into day seven. Not that it's working, but we'll continue our system here of going one hex north and then lateral, one hex north and then lateral. So we're going to go 
We're going to go northeast this time, go to the other corner of this little map here, and we're going to roll for terrain. Hey, it's not a one or a six, it's a five. So that's, oh, I don't even know how this transition would happen, but it's desert. Oh, it says here the pavements of the past have destroyed this area. So this was a developed urban region, which makes sense. People built up to the corner of wetlands all the time. So yeah, we have a desert. Life doesn't exist here. We roll 2d6 for our event. I rolled a six, which is ruins. So 1d6 for the ruins. And I rolled a four. I feel like I've rolled almost the same exact, same sequence of rolls. But I got a four in the desert. Your good fortune. I'm out of the swamp and into what used to be some kind of paved urban suburban region where life is no longer really supported. But you find yourself walking up a rocky cliffside toward a castle. When you finally make it to the entrance, you notice it used to be a church. Another church. Out front is a concrete statue of a woman with four eyes and arms holding a book with LXXII carved into it. That is 72 in Roman numerals for all of you Roman numeral fans. You find two fruits on the trees outside of the doors. All right, we got food again. And you go inside the castle and embrace the cool air. There isn't much on the ground floor, but you do find one set of Alora cards under a bed upstairs. They look cool, but you're not sure how to play with them. So you camp in the church tonight. All right, well, I can eat the fruit, which is a little different than meal bars. Fruit does the opposite. It heals one hit point and two energy points, but I'm already maxed out and I'm not going to be losing anything over the course of the day. I'm sleeping inside, but not in a village, so that's roughly the same. So I don't lose any hit points or anything like that, and I have good fortune to find a church, so that's good. And I have one fruit for tomorrow. Now for a Hexploration game, I feel like this is moving pretty quickly, but it's really fun because it's got that randomness that's really interesting, and you always know that those moments, those cutscenes are waiting for you. So I'm a week away from another cutscene. Let's head into my second week of wandering, looking for the robot god to avenge my fallen brother. This game functions a little different than other solo games because it's not so much about character creation, right? I'm thinking about this. Normally, I'd have had some introspection and some character moments. But this game is really good about just keeping you moving. You are dissociated and hungry for that vengeance, and you are just trudging along toward what you believe to be your fate, or at least what will bring you some kind of peace after this horrible, traumatic moment. I do think if we wanted to do any kind of introspection for this character, they've come across strange, almost religious artifacts a couple of times now. One with the elder who kind of brushed them off, but then they saw the obelisk with the weird runes, and they saw the woman with the four eyes and four arms at the church. So everything here is getting really weird, but maybe it's playing into this was the fall, right? This was... These are the robots that everything led up to this terrible vengeance quest. But it is week two. We are starting day eight. And let's see where we're going. We're obviously going to go northwest this time. 
and keep our little system going. This time we'll snake back west as we go north. Rolling 1d6 for our terrain. I got another new one. This is a 4. Which are grasslands. The fields are lively. Wildflowers and grass cover the landscape. Butterflies and bees hop from flower to flower. The wind is soft and the deer are unshaken by your presence. There are small signs a town was here a century ago, but nature's erased most of it off the map. Roll 2d6 for our event. I got a 6, which is ruins. Oh, I just missed village. Damn. All right. And we're going to roll for our type of ruin here, 1d6 in the grasslands. I got a four, which says another church. Yeah, everything is kind of leading to these, this religious iconography. Just before you call it quits for the day, you find the remains of a burned down church. Where the podium would have been is a small concrete bowl holding four bitlets. You can choose to take them if you want. As you head back out, you notice a light reflecting from the rubble. You move the dirt away and find one golden cross. Now, in the swamp, I had a bad experience taking bitliths, and I'm probably going to regret this later, but I think that I'm going to leave those, but I will take the golden cross. And now we're going to hunker down for the night. We do have one more piece of fruit remaining, and we have a place to sleep, but we are still full on our hit points and EP, so we're going to need to find some food tomorrow. Waking up in the ruins of this burned church, beginning day nine, we are going to move west and hopefully find something that can get us fed for the day. But here goes, 1d6 for terrain. Another four, so some more grasslands. This makes sense. We're kind of in that suburban-urban region now. 2d6 for events. Come on, village. Of course not. I got more ruins. So here goes. 1d6 for the ruins. And I rolled another four. Wow, talk about the same sequence over and over. But, I mean, that's just how statistics probability works on these d6 rolls. And since I got the exact same event that I would have gotten before, and it's even, we're actually going to play it as if it was the odd number above it, which is the three, which says the old high school. You come across a large brick building. Inside, the walls are covered in moldy posters with motivational sayings. A poster in the office says, join the army. But someone put a sticker on top of it that says, in Alora we trust. You continue walking around the empty and dark hallways. Although you don't find anything useful in the teacher's lounge, you do find one hacked minor shield in a science room lab closet. Let's look up what a hacked minor shield does. I'm not looking up what the Allura cards or the Golden Cross do for me, because I kind of want to see if those come up organically, but a shield sounds important, so let's see what that does. Whoa, this is crazy. A hacked minor shield grants plus three defense. It is a modified Buster T7 shield. Ooh, I don't know if my, my character would definitely use it because it's broken off of a Buster T7. I have four defense. I'm ready to fight. Unfortunately, I just don't have any food for the night. So I am going to lose hit points just on that. So we're back to losing two cumulative hit points per night that I don't find food. 
as I travel this wasteland of grasslands and clearly suburban ruins. We have hit double digits. It is day 10 of my journey out of my village through the swamps that became forests and deserts in suburban wasteland, and I am no closer to finding this robot god to avenge my brother. I'm going to switch up our little navigation pattern that we've been doing here, because I'm starting to make a circle around some hexes that were not explored. So I'm going to go southeast and fill in some of these blank hexes between places we've been. So let's roll a d6 to see what that terrain is going to be. I got a three. So this is the first time we've encountered any mountains. And that makes sense as to why I went around them probably just instinctively before. But now that I'm running out of food, where might I find some food? I'm in a suburban wasteland. There are some hills and some mountains over here. So let's go ahead and see what we find in the mountains. Rolling 2d6. And I got a huge roll. That's an 11, which means it's an encounter. Danger hides among the rocky hillsides. Okay, so we're going to roll 1d6 for encounters within the mountains. And I got a 5. Oh boy. You meet a god hunter. As you make your way through a rocky canyon, an arrow flies right past your nose. You freeze. A person completely wrapped in black cloth comes out from behind a nearby rock, hiding a bow. Sorry, just trying to grab your attention. Didn't want to make too much noise. I've been following you for a few kilometers now. You're going to die trying, but I thought you should know. There's a radio tower about three tiles northwest of here. There's some kind of code we need to turn it off. Good luck. She waves goodbye to you, as if to say, see you later, friend. As you continue to walk, you wonder why it's so bizarre outside of your village. Okay. Well, so she gave us some information. Three tiles to the northwest is a radio tower, so I'm going to put that right on our map here. And maybe I'll start heading in that direction now. Although, you can hear just the grumbling of my stomach as I go another night without food. Down four hit points tonight for a net minus one. Now, I could go right back into the grasslands where the high school was, where I just was, and make my way towards this radio tower that I was told about. Or I could head one more hex to the west that has not been explored, but it will add one more day before I get to that radio tower. But my character knows there's nothing in that grassland, just a high school. So I think we're going to go west, take the chance on one more day to get to the radio tower, and see if we can find some food, because it's getting desperate. Here goes rolling for terrain. It is a 2, so it is some more forest. 2d6 for an event in the forest. I got an 8, which I believe is just more ruins. Yes, it is. Oh my goodness. 1d6 for the ruins of the forest. And I got a 3. Old gas station. Rusty cars covered in vines sit in front of a gas station. Inside you find a bag of chips that expired back in 45. You open the bag and try one. Ugh. Unsurprisingly, they are stale. There's still a hot dog out on the display that rotates a few minutes a day because of the store's solar panel. But probably not. You do find two bitliths behind the register. Yeah, I think it's probably better that I don't eat this food and just not eat it all. 
So huge bummer. I found two bitliths, but am absolutely starving. I'm going to lose three more hit points tonight as I'm really starting to get just loopy and weak as I continue to stumble through these strange places outside of my village looking for this robot god. Day number dozen. Number 12 here. Really hoping we can find some food. Waking up in a gas station with stale chips and disgusting century-old hot dogs. Here we go. We're going to roll for our terrain as we move to the northwest, hoping that that radio tower holds something for us. I got another two, so it is more forest. It has been reclaimed by these woods, and we're going to roll 2d6 for our event. Please, come on, give me something. I got a nine, which in the forest is an encounter. Oh, gosh. I'm desperately hungry, and something's going to mess with me. I'm in no mood. Here we go. You can feel the presence of something dangerous lurking in the shadows, waiting to pounce. 1d6 for an encounter. And I got a six. Oh no, this is bad. King of the jungle. As you're walking through a dense part of the woods, you hear a low growl come from your right. Suddenly, a mountain lion pounces at you. We're going to have our first fight. And this could be bad. So the way that combat works in Miru is that it is turn-based and enemies always go first. They deal their attack based on a d6 roll, and I subtract my defense, and that is the damage that I'm going to take. After the enemy rolls 1d6 to determine their attack, their turn ends. You get to reference their combat card for stats. Each enemy has different attack types and damage and all of this stuff. On your turn, you can choose any one of the following actions. I can make a basic attack with any of the items that I have, or I can use a tech skill. Those are things that I can unlock when I do find villages and find people uh, who can teach me how to do certain things, which are basically combat abilities. And then I can also attempt to escape. If you survive combat, roll 1d6 to search the nearby area for any interesting items. And you reference the enemy's combat card and a different page for rewards. So we know that this mountain lion just pounced at me. And its stats say here, I'm going to roll a d6. On a 1 or a 2, it deals 3 damage to me. On a 3 or a 4, it deals 6, and on a 5 or a 6, it deals 8. I have 5 defense thanks to my shield and jacket, but let's see what happens. Of course, I rolled a 5, which is 8 damage, minus my 5 defense for 3 as it pounces on me and digs its claws into my back. Desperately, I roll over and do manage to get the mountain lion off of me before it sinks its teeth in. What do I have? Oh, I have that taser. So the mountain lion here has 12 HP and a defense of one. So it's only going to subtract one from any damage that I deal to it. However, beyond that taser, I have nothing. I can only deal one damage with my fists and it has one defense. This taser will not kill it outright. So I have to attempt to flee. I could attempt to get one hit in with the taser, and stun it. Hmm. It does say here that if I escape, I move to a different tile. The enemy stays on the tile without healing. So, 
I'm going to attempt to get my taser out. It is solar powered. It works once a day. And I'm going to try and hit this creature. And I believe it just works. I don't have to roll for it. So I do get my taser out. And as it begins to lunge for me again, I get it. And it stuns it. It deals nine damage minus or plus nine. So it's 10 minus its one defense for nine damage. It is down to three hit points. And it is stunned one. The way stun works is at the beginning of its turn, I'm going to roll a d6, and if I roll a 4, the enemy skips their turn. Ooh, here goes. Fingers crossed. Alright, so I'm rolling a d6 at the beginning of its turn. Come on, 4. I got a 2. So it does act, and I'm going to use that 2 as its attack. So that would be 3 damage, which is negated by my defense. I get my shield up this time and hold it off. I'm going to attempt to fling it off and flee. Now to escape... I need to roll a d6, and I need to get higher than its escape score. So I'm going to spend two energy points to try and outrun this mountain lion. And the mountain lion has an escape score of four. So I have to roll five or a six. Oh, gosh, here goes. It's a five. All right. Oh, okay. So I lost three hit points. It lost nine, so it'll be at three for if we ever go back for it. But because I escaped, there's actually conditions based on whether you roll odd or even. And because I rolled odd, it says skip eating this day, as opposed to even, which would be skip eating and sleeping. So I actually got lucky. I don't have food, so this really doesn't punish me all that much anyway. But I am going to lose, what am I up to, eight hit points? I'm going to lose five more, and I'm going to be down to eight hit points going into day 13. I am ragged. I look like shit. And I am struggling. If I don't eat on day 13, I will be down to one hit point going into day 14. Starvation is real. For the sake of simplicity, I'm going to say that we fled into the adjacent hex we'd already been in, which was the high school. And now we're going to move into the next hex to the northwest here. Let's see. Or I could go back and try and kill this mountain lion. See if there's anything in its den, food to eat. Ooh, decisions, decisions. You know what? I think the character wakes up and sees that having left the solar-powered taser out, the morning sun has come up and he watches it slowly charge. And when he rolls over, stomach just screaming, desperate for food. He's not thinking straight. He thinks, let's go kill this mountain lion. I'm going back into that hex. I don't have to roll for it, and I know exactly where this thing is. The enemy does always attack first, so I know roughly where to look for this thing. And I think this thing, it had been tracking me probably anyway. It knows I'm making a lot of noise. I'm too tired to be any kind of stealthy. I'm coming in here, I'm set on revenge for my main mission, and now this thing is just making my life even more miserable. So, sure enough, it pounces again. We're going to roll its d6 to see how much damage it does. Of course, I rolled a 6, which is 8 damage minus our 5 defense, so that is 3 more damage. I'm down to 5 hit points, and I tase it for the one-time use a day and drop this mountain line. Now, the way this works is... It says here, special reward, and it has three black dots. So when you defeat an enemy, you get rewards. You 
claim rewards by rolling 1d6 for every black skill dot on the enemy you defeated. There were three dots on this mountain lion, so I'm going to roll 3d6. You may choose any combination of dice to determine your reward. So when I roll these 3d6, I can, if I roll, say, like an 18, I can just take that one 18, or I can say, oh, okay, I got a 6, a 6, and a 6, so I can take three times the number 6, or anything like that. All right, so let's roll 3d6 and see what happens. Okay, this should be good. I rolled a 3, a 5, and a 6 for a total of 14. And this works out, because that's actually the exact same as the example reward roll in the book. So it says here, sample dice total 14, reward options. I can do the 14 for 3 plus 5 plus 6. I can combine the 5 and the 3 for an 8 and take the 8 reward and the 6 reward. 5 and 9, however you want to break it down, right? So, let's take a look at the rewards and see what works best for us. This is such a bummer because there's so many good items I could get. There's a special reward for defeating the mountain lion, which are light shoes, which reduce the escape value of any enemy by two, but I can't spend all that because it's 11 or 12, so I'd only have the three left. I think I might just do a five, a six, and a three and just really get all the food I can get. I would find six meal bars and three fruits. It sounds kind of not worth it, but I can't really do anything else. So, yep, I'm going to get nine pieces of food, three pieces of fruit, and six meal bars, which I find that the mountain lion conveniently didn't eat when it attacked some other unfortunate hunter. But now I got food, so... I believe I can eat as much food as I want at night. It says you must eat at least one food and you can have up to three food items every day. So I think I might just do some serious healing here because I'm down to five hit points. I'm going to gain three from camping outside and I'm going to get my two energy points back from sleeping. But then that'll bring me to eight. I think I'm going to do three of my meal bars for another six hit points to bring me up to 14. Is that worth it? This game is hard. You have to make some difficult decisions. Like, and this is what a starving person would do. They would see all this food and they would be like, I am so hungry. I'm going to gorge myself. I'll just eat two of them. So I'll have four meal bars left and three fruit. All right. Waking up undoubtedly sore from yet another fight with the mountain lion, but feeling a little bit better with some food in my stomach. I'm going to once again resume my journey towards the radio tower on day 14 here of my journey. Roll 1d6 for the terrain northwest of the forest. And of course, I rolled a minor injury, a 1. So that's minus 2 hit points, and I stay on the same tile I was in to nurse my wounds. I eat and sleep as usual, so I will gain hit points back, but I'm once again slowed in my progress towards avenging my brother. And I think that's where I'm going to end this session. I'm going to do sessions of Miru in two-week chunks. So that would bring Miru 1 roughly to be four episodes, and Miru 2, we will have to find out when we look at that book. But just as a teaser, I will read the Day 15 event. The next new tile you visit triggers an event. That tile is a forest. You come across a muddy pathway near the edge of a river. 
You notice the footprints in the path look like the feet of a helper F2. You cautiously follow the trail until it leads right up to a warehouse in the middle of the woods. You hide behind a tree and spy the activity afoot. A few dozen helper F2s move materials in and out of the warehouse. Two Buster T7s circle the outside of the warehouse, their glowing laser arms ready to slice anything thinking about getting close. You notice a limping helper F2. The same leg is damaged from the night your brother died. You begin to boil with rage. Eventually, it heads out from the warehouse to the building next to it. You peek into the building to see a dozen or so bots laying on wireless power chargers. You use your solar-powered taser on the power cables to the building. All the bots inside burst into flames. You turn around to leave, but a Buster T7 confronts you. You notice it has bloodstains on its sword arm. Shit. Thank you for listening to another episode of Playing With Myself on the Internet. It got really dicey there, no pun intended. And this game is very difficult to survive. I can't believe there's a hard mode with weather. I can barely survive the base version. But I hope that you enjoyed it, and I hope that you come back to listen to episodes 2 and onward of Miru as I continue to play through this crazy robot god-killing game. As always, if you like what we do, please find us on social medias. We're on most of them at DMs After Dark. You can follow us, subscribe, like our stuff, reach out to us, shoot us messages, let us know what you think, let us know what you'd like to see us play, or what you enjoy that we do, or what you think we could do better, or anything like that. If you want to send us an email, shoot us an email at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. We love all the communications we've gotten from people I know. I've seen Christian has been talking to somebody that's regularly on Twitch about a Mutants and Masterminds game that they got going on. We love bouncing ideas off of people, hearing what you're playing, hearing your ideas, or if we've done anything that's inspired you. Reach out. Just say hi. We're nice people. We don't bite. And until next time, you know, go wander outside. Bonus points if you get your wetland types right. Bye.